Welcome to Stratford Lutheran's Sermon Podcast. I am Pastor Alex, and this is a podcast that each week will deliver a new sermon message. These are taken directly from our ongoing sermon series, and you can find them in on YouTube if you would like to watch them, but these are here for your listening pleasure. And I am so thankful that you have taken this opportunity to hear this particular sermon. And as always, if you have any questions, you can reach out to me. I am on Instagram at quorum.dale.life. You can reach me at Undying Light Ministries as I host that podcast, Undying Light. And I'm a co-host of a Matter of Truth podcast. This is just a means to allow my sermons to uh, be listened to at your convenience as a listener. And again, I just want to say I am very appreciative of you taking this opportunity to listen. Now, here's this week's sermon. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse, so that the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruits bearing, uh, trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and the trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let the lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let there be signs for the seasons and for the days and the years. And let them be the lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser to rule the night and the stars. And God sent them into the expanse and of the heavens to give them light to the earth to rule over the day and over the night, to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds. 
and every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, and saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock and over all of the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast on the earth, and to every bird in the heavens, and to every thing that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life has been given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. We begin our journey in this new Bible series looking at some of our favorite Bible stories from Sunday school. And I couldn't help but think of what a better way to start than talking about creation. Creation is often one of those topics that is talked about but never really delved into too much. And I thought that we learn about it in Sunday school and then it kind of fades away as we grow older. And yet I find myself always coming back to Genesis 1 and 2 and just relishing in what God has given us. And as I sought through looking at this sermon series, and for particular today's message, one of the things that kept coming to me was just the, the art of creation that God is making, calling everything out with his voice. And in that, we see new life. We see something that's never existed before. All the plants, all the vegetation, all the animals, and then finally God makes man. And I couldn't help but correlate that to what I've recently gone through. Having the birth of my son just a few days ago. Seeing new life again. Now it's relatively fresh in my mind, this newness of life, because my daughter's only three and a half. And so just a short while ago, we experienced her birth. Something that really interrupted my wife and I's life. But in a good way. Because see, anytime something good happens, it's usually God interrupting our lives. He did so with creation. He did so with Jesus. He did so with all the prophets leading up to the time of Christ. There was a point of interruption in life. And so as my wife and I welcomed our daughter and now our son into our life, we can see how God is still creating. Every day new life is born into this world. God is not finished with his creation. So in the beginning, before all things, 
before time. That's a pondering thought, isn't it? Before time, in the beginning, before anything existed, before anything at all. Now, it's difficult for us to try and pinpoint when this actual beginning was. It's very hard for us to articulate a time period for really anything that predates Abraham. And we'll get into Abraham's time shortly. Now, there have been well-intentioned efforts to actually create a point in time when creation happened. Now, we can look at it from two different perspectives, one being the scientific method where they are articulating a point in history where the Big Bang happened and everything came out of nothing and matter and all this stuff formed by just sheer nothingness. They also will try and use carbon dating, radioactive depletion dating, and geological theories to try and pinpoint when creation happened. When did the universe start? When did Earth become into form? And how did all of this happen? Because obviously we're here, and we want to know our history, and so it only works that we would try and look for means to which we can try and uncover that past. And yet, if we were to sit and spend time today exploring all of these theories and all of these measures, it would prove to be a tedious and mostly unsatisfying task. But I want to step back a little bit, and I want to look at Genesis from the perspective of Christians. In this camp of Christianity, we really have two main schools of thought that surround the point of creation. We have what's called young earth and old earth. The young earth is a group of individuals who take Genesis at a literal interpretation. When God said there was evening and morning of the first day, the second day, the third day, these are literal days. The old earth looks at Genesis 1 and 2 as more of a symbolical or metaphorical interpretation. They will see that these days don't actually represent 24-hour time periods, but are a representative time of space. Now, neither view is inherently wrong, or really, are they inherently right. It is simply a manner of understanding and interpreting Genesis 1 and 2. It's all based upon how you read your Bible. The old earth sees the story of creation as purely symbolic, or poetic. The days in this view can represent anywhere between a thousand to a million or more years. And in this view, you can start to articulate some of the scientific methods used to date the world. Interestingly enough, though, most of those that I have come across who hold to an old earth reject the Darwinal evolution view. God created, and therefore it was, we didn't evolve from fish or monkeys or anything of that sort. The argument in this view, though, is that the passages are purely symbolic, and as Scripture uses symbolic or metaphorical teachings elsewhere, they will argue why not here in Genesis 1 and 2. So we already have a problem itself of actually dating Genesis. We don't know when the actual point of creation happened. 
And so with this view to understand that each day may just be representative of a longer time period, it shouldn't be thrown aside. It should be considered. The young earth view states that the scientific methods are actually flawed and cannot pinpoint creation or date the earth so, the extremes so that the extremes that are currently presented fall away. People with this view of Genesis hold that the entire book is a historical narrative of what God has done. And since we read history literally, they view the six days as a traditional 24-hour period. As I mentioned, neither one of these views are wrong. They're both okay. I personally hold to the young earth perspective. I can see Genesis as being a historical recantation of what God has done and is already doing. And therefore, I look at Genesis chapter 1 as being a literal six days. And interesting, I came across this as I was doing my research, this little kind of verse that Jesus speaks of in Luke chapter 13. I sometimes think it might kind of get lost in correlation. He correlates man working for six days and resting on the seventh because the discussion was on his disciples honoring the Sabbath day. As Jesus is making this reference, he's doing a throwback to Genesis and the creation. He's tying man's obligation to work six days and rest on the seventh. He's connecting that back to God working six days and resting on the seventh. So even though we may not be able to study the actual point of creation outside of what Scripture gives us, and dating Genesis can be exhaustive in its attempts, I think we can say this. We know that God exists. That's the truth that we get from Scripture, not only just in Genesis 1, but all the way through to the end of Revelation. Moses begins with this assertion that God made all things. See, he doesn't go and actually give an argument for God. He doesn't go in and try to give us support and, and factual basis to try and determine whether or not a God is present in the universe. But what he does is, he says, in the beginning, God created. This is the truth that Moses brings us. Moses is recanting for us this revelation that God has shared with him. And as we explore the stories of Genesis, we will re be reminded of this emphasis of faith in God. And as one thing I kind of want to put into your minds as kind of maybe an overarching theme as we go through this series is the fact that God provides. In all aspects of our lives, from the point of creation all the way to today, God still provides. He does so here in the garden as he makes man and gives man the dominion over the beasts and the livestock. He gives man the ability to eat and procreate and have life in the garden God provides even during the fall we will see how God provides for his creation after the fall we will continue to understand and unpack this theory more and more that God provides always so in the silence in the nothingness before time 
God spoke. Interestingly enough, if we were to just focus on Genesis 1-1, which I could probably write a two or three hour sermon on, I don't think you'd appreciate that too much, but <laughs> if we were to just focus on this verse, what's one thing that stands out to us? What's one thing that kind of resonates in our mind? I came to this conclusion that we don't actually see what God said. It just says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It doesn't say that God spoke specific words. However, we know that by God speaking, something happens. We know by just listening to John 1.1 earlier that the Word was in the beginning, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. So the Word, being Jesus, being spoken to into creation, creates the heavens and the earth. Interestingly enough, we just don't know the exact phrase of those words that were used. So on the first day, we see the heavens and the earth made, creating from nothing, ex nihilai. In this, we understand that God is the one who alone creates. God alone can make something out of nothing. Now, humans can obviously create things. We build some amazing buildings and, and features around the world. The ability to travel and move data and information from point A to point B within seconds. Man has the ability to create. However, we can only create by rearranging what God has already created. So God begins by creating the heavens and the earth, and throughout chapter 1, we see that word heavens being drawn up numerous times, but I would like to pay reference to the fact that it's referring to the sky and the cosmos, not necessarily to where God abides. So when Genesis refers to the heavens, it's referring to the skies above, the cosmos, the space, the universe, all of that. Still within day one, God creates the earth without form, without void. It's dark. We still have yet no light. On this voidless world, we have no roads or fields, no trees, no valleys, no mountains, no grass. Nothing yet. But then, still within the first day, God speaks the first words recorded of what God is doing here, it says, let there be light. This is the first time we see Moses giving us this phrase, God said. And it is by his mere speaking that something is made out of nothing. This is the first time we see this instrument that God uses to complete his work. Namely, the word. From the very beginning of creation, God uses his voice to speak creation into existence. And God continues to use his word to draw his people back to him. Namely, Jesus Christ and the promise of salvation and eternal life. God separates the light from the darkness. And we have the end of the first day. As we enter day two, we see God introducing three fundamental distinctions of the physical world. We have now the sky, the sea, and dry land. The heavens, as I mentioned, referred to here in verse 8, again show us 
this sky and cosmos, not necessarily God's dwelling. Day three continues to further show us how God goes about separating the waters from the land. And we will soon see how God fills those waters with life. In verse 11 in the day three, we have, in our eyes at least, the first glimpse of life. Let the vegetation sprout forward, filling the spaces beneath the expanse with inanimate things. Now, it's interesting, we might think as plants as being alive, as kind of having their own life force that calls them forward and draws them into their lifespan. But the Israelites had a different view of vegetation and plants and trees. In fact, they thought that they lacked the unique life force that qualifies to be a living creature. And so the Israelites, when viewing plants and trees and vegetation of sorts, it was merely another inanimate object. So God populates the world and he brings forth all different kinds of plants. When we see this reference to kind, we should pay note that it doesn't mean that there's just the same type of tree. It's not just an elm tree that he makes millions of. But it's elms and, and, and all these other types that are out there. It's not just a tulip rose or a flower that comes forward, but it's a rose and every other type of flower. It's every type of grass. It's every type of edible vegetation that we see. Not just corn stalks, but beans and wheat and all the sort. God calls all different kinds of plants into creation. In day four, God moves back into creating the cosmos. He's now bringing us light to govern the days, which is our sun, and light to govern the night, which is the moon. And the moon essentially has been given authority over the nighttime and the stars. They will be used to govern the seasons and the cycles of time that we have now established as man. These movements help track the seasons and the months when it should be time to plant our crop and when it should be time to harvest that crop. But interestingly enough, stars themselves do not predict or control humankind's destiny. They don't predict the future. They don't have any emphasis on how your mood is going to be this day or tomorrow. They are merely there for governing seasons and time. God finishes setting the lights and he concludes the fourth day. Now, if we were to go through the Israelite notion of what life actually is, we see that come forward on the fifth day. God brings forth the swarms of living creatures in the waters and birds in the air. As I had mentioned, the plants in Hebrew, we see this language shift from an inanimate object to one that possesses life. And so as Moses is writing this and as later scribes are transitioning into what we have today, the original language used in, he in Genesis 1, this original Hebrew word, shows that plants themselves are inanimate objects and we don't have life until the fifth day. As we go through the creation here, God it turns to all of the swarms in the oceans, 
and the birds in the air, and he blesses them. This is our first explicit blessing in Scripture. By pronouncing this blessing, God is granting the power of procreation to the animals that he has thus created. Go forward and multiply. On day six, God calls forth the living creatures of the world, the livestock, the creeping things, and the beasts. And then God shifts his attention. He says, let us make man in our own image. In this phrase, we see the, the plural nature used as an anticipation for the doctrine of the Trinity. Let us make man. Going back to what we heard in John 1, we know that Jesus Christ was present in creation. We also know that the Spirit of God is present in creation. Therefore, the Trinity is present in creation. Let us make man in our own image. Luther writes this, he says, Here both appear, let us make, and he made, in the plural and in the singular. Thereby Moses clearly and forcefully shows us that within and in the very Godhead and the creating essence there is one inseparable and eternal plurality. Moses, or, uh, Luther continues this, he says, Moses puts the two sexes together and says that God created man and woman in order to indicate that Eve too was made by God as a partaker of the divine image and of the divine solitude, likewise of the rule over everything. Thus, even today, woman as a partaker of the future life, just as Peter writes, he says that they are joint heirs of the same grace. In the household, the wife is the partner in the management and has common interest in the children and the property. And yet, there is great difference in between the sexes. God extends the blessing to humankind and to the animals that he's created to go and procreate and fill the earth. And I found that as this is the command again given by God, that this point of creation is still continuing on. Man is still growing. We started with two in the garden, and now we have just under 8 billion people in the world today. God is still creating new life. And this creation continues long after the garden was formed and it will continue until the moment when Jesus returns. Every new baby formed in the womb of a woman created in the image of God. Each passing season outside, the leaves falling off the trees, the flowers dying, only to be made anew in the coming spring. We will know that life will have this cycle of birth life, and death here shortly as we go through the fall. And we can witness that as God continues to create and continues this cycle of creation all the way through to our present time. And another interesting aspect to this story in Genesis is that when God makes something, he declares it to be good. Every day God says it was good. 
He makes all things good. And he takes great care to place man and woman in the garden to care for what he has created. The beauty of Genesis 1 and really 2 is this notion that there is no sin present. No disobedience, no death, no decay. Creation is good. And yet we will soon discover here that sin enters the world and with sin, death. And the beauty of this is that even though we face death in our lives, even though we know that sin is now present every moment in your life, you struggle with this notion of trying to be a, a better person than you were yesterday. Even though that sin weighs on you, this truth will call out of creation that Jesus Christ has redeemed you, that the death and resurrection that had been planned before the foundations of the world to redeem God's people is continually in effect today. And it's interesting how God uses creation to save us. He uses wood for the cross. He uses water in the baptism. And he uses bread and wine in the Eucharist. And so God is utilizing what he's already created to continue to save his people. And interestingly enough, we know that in the brief period or however long Genesis 1 and 2 took place in, creation was perfect. Sin did not exist. In Genesis 3, we have the picture of sin entering the world, the disobedience of man coming, full-fledged. And in that, we see and experience the sin and death and decay in this life as our bodies continue to age and fall apart around us, as we lose our loved ones, as we struggle to hold on to a grasp of reality or of good health, sin is ever-present today. But there is a promise in that too. That when Jesus returns, there will be a new heaven and a new earth that all Christians can partake in. That we get to enjoy one where sin does not exist, where death doesn't exist, where sadness or depression or anxiety, they don't exist. In this new creation, we are promised eternal life and eternal time to be with Christ. Amen. Amen.